The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made. And by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by Lee Karaher. Lee is the CEO and president of Double Forte, a PR, marketing, and communications consulting firm that's based in San Francisco with offices in New York City. She's the author of Millennials in Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. Lee's book was inspired by her own experiences in working with millennials, the generation that was born between the early 80s and 1990s. More than half of her team at Double Forte is under the age of 32. Since she learned how to effectively work with millennials, she's going to give you some pointers on how you can create a work culture in which millennials can thrive. Her advice will be helpful to you as a business owner or manager and also as a parent. Why is this important for people of all generations around the world? According to a Forbes article published in 2013, Millennials are projected to comprise 75% of the global workforce by 2025. So let's hear what Lee has to say on the topic of millennials. Lee, welcome to the show. And uh, thank you so much for having me. What an honor. I find the direction of your work really interesting since it goes beyond millennials to look at how all generations of workers can work well together and thrive. Well, I think that the thing is, you know, millennials get a lot of bad rap, right, about being terrible to work with, but it's simply not true. And the uh, part of it is um, it's made harder because there are four, peop- four different generations working together in the workplace today, and this is the first time in American history they've had four distinct generations working together. So it's very interesting because this also ties into the guide that you created on manners in the workplace and I'd mm-hmm. love to hear a little bit more about that from you. Sure. So a lot of the you know issues between generations comes down to manners. Um, what people, what some people think are is correct, you know, etiquette, and other people think is rude and all that kind of stuff. And what I found is, um, what I think is that there's no person in the workplace who would not benefit from reading the post the post book called um, the Adva- the etiquette advantage in business but it's you know really really thick and it's an expensive book and what i found was i gave it to everyone in my company but it was it immediately went under the desk as a as a footrest because of so much. Mm-hmm. and um 
and it wasn't very, it wasn't very uh, accessible just because it's so large. So and it's expensive, and, and people not everyone can get it. So instead, what I did was I created this uh, Everything Speaks, which is over 150 of the manners that matter in the workplace, things that could get in your way that you would just not know. It has nothing to do with age. It could, everybody, everybody needs to know these things. And it's a desktop guide, and it sort of sits um, has 150 cards more than, and each card is a different. Um, manner. So it sort of gets broken down into restaurant etiquette, email etiquette, meeting etiquette, you know, uh, first impressions, that kind of thing. And my my hope is that with this desktop guide, you know, you don't, you just, it sits there and then you, if you're working with someone who's who's new, you you can set up these things so that you can just go through them and say, okay, we're going to a business dinner today. You may not have ever gone to a business dinner with us before, but here's, here's, what it takes to actually, you know, go, get through it well. That's so interesting because it's true that so many of us don't have this preparation. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of older people, so I went through Cotillion when I was young, and Cotillion, you know, in most of the country, in, in the South, Cotillion, everything you learn in Cotillion is uh, still very relevant. But all over the country, Cotillion has shrunk. Um, it's it's uh, de minimis to what it used to be 30, 40 years ago. And, you know, I used to l- learn how to cut butter by cutting a banana and putting it on my butter plate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and these things that, you know, they, they just seem so ridiculous when you talk about them now. However, they have they make a big difference. And a lot of the differences and a lot of the negative um, stereotypes that older people have of millennials is uh, is around etiquette, and it's not that they're ignorant; it's just they're not informed. And so, my goal with Everything Speaks was to help people be informed about the the manners that actually matter in the workplace. Phenomenal! I have to tell you this really quick story, and then I'd love to get more into the topic of millennials. Mm-hmm. I did my I did my undergrad in hotel and restaurant management, and I recall this mm. story. I was working with someone in human resources, and she was talking to me about an interview that the restaurant manager had with someone. And, you know, she said to me, the person decided not to hire this candidate. And I said, what was the reason? And she said, because they had the interview over lunch mm-hmm. and speaking of, of butter and butter knife. So she said that instead of taking a, a scoop of butter out of the shared butter plate and putting it into her own side plate, um, she kept sticking her, knife back into the butter plate. Mm-hmm. And that was the reason that she wasn't hired. <laughs> well, you know, that's so funny because, well, it's sort of sad, but um, I, um, I used to interview people. Part of our recruiting process was taking them to either a lunch or dinner with a white tablecloth. And I did not hire two people um, because they, it was just a disaster. You know, the food's coming out of their mouth. They answered the phone at lunch. I mean, all these terrible things. And, you know, three or four months later, I was like, Okay, that's really stupid. I cannot teach people how to be good people. I can teach people how to eat. I can teach people mm. how to go to a restaurant and how to use a fork and all those kinds of things. And so um, I really sort of hit myself on the head on that one. In fact, I gave, um, I do teach uh, etiquette classes to college students, and I, I gave us um, a seminar last week at Menlo College in, in California. And there were 70 people and 70, you know, seniors and juniors in the room. We were eating, you know, a three-course luncheon. And, um, you know, everybody had something, right? Mm. So, 
I mean, those things, you just don't know if they're going to get in your way or not. So the better thing to do is just to, to, to say, I'm just going to learn these things. And if uh, I just don't want not, I just don't want my, what I don't know to be in my way. Because obviously when you're looking for work, you're trying to, you know, you're going to dinner, working, doing a business deal. You don't want the fact that you don't put your napkin in your lap to get in the way of making the thing happen, you know. Right. It's like getting a ticket, right? Sometimes you don't yeah. know that you're violating a particular law until you actually get the ticket. Exactly. So to your credit, though, not every employer um, really builds in this kind of learning curve. A lot of employers make the assessment, and then sometimes the candidate doesn't even really know what was working well, you know, for them and what so wasn't. I think that is so short-sighted because um, and we, have, we made the decision a few years ago around when we started doing this little box, that we were just going to tell people why they didn't move forward. Because so many people were coming, you know, I have a relatively small company, you know, 45 people. And, but we were interviewing so many people, and they weren't even making it past the first interview because of something, right? Either they had typos on their, on their resume, or they were totally dressed inappropriately, or, or, or all these other things, right? They were chewing gum whatever it was, and we decided we were going to give the feedback to everybody who didn't make it to the next level so they would know, because clearly no one had told them, right? We weren't going to actually let them move forward, but we were going to tell them, um, you know, that you can't wear, you know, your sunglasses on top of your head and a very, very short skirt or your, you know, that, or, or man spread and expect to get a, you know, <laughs> expect to get a, you know, professional position. Um, so we, we just decided that we were going to take that on for ourselves. And, you know, probably 80, 85% of the time people are very thankful. And obviously it's embarrassing to hear. Um, but 85% of the time we get a thank you uh, note uh, from those people. Leah, I would want to work with you. That's fabulous. It's so, really, it's so wonderful because when you think about what's the thing that really helps people to grow, it's the thing sometimes that you know, we're really starving on, which is to get feedback that yeah. helps to move you forward. And so, so just the fact that you do that in your hiring process, let alone when people are actually working with you, is phenomenal. I think that feedback, particularly for, you know, there's a generational difference in feedback. Um, millennials crave feedback, and they're used to constant feedback. They're used to it from their, their phones to give them feedback all the time. Social media gives them feedback. Email, you know, they're just used to a whole different set of feedback, whereas particularly uh, boomers, and I'm a boomer, um, or Xers are, you know, they never had the anticipation of immediate feedback. Uh, particularly boomers, you know, we, we grew up learning how to write memos. Well, when was the last time you wrote a memo? And um, a memo would have the expectation that you would return it within seven days. Well, I don't know a piece of, I don't know a memo that goes out that doesn't expect a return within 24, 48 hours today. So being able to give feedback and understand that it is a, it is a gift you're giving, right? It's the gift that keeps on giving, um, as long as you do it in a respectful manner, assuming that someone's not ignorant, you know, because there's a lot of, there's just a lot of negativity in the concept of ignorance, but uninformed, um, because there's, and there's many things that we are uninformed of that our younger colleagues are totally informed of, but we have right. an idea. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely makes sense. There are so many worlds in this world, even within the same city, within the same mm-hmm. company, there are subcultures. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think about a place like New York or San Francisco where half the world's coming through here all the time, you could be raised in Europe or South America or Africa or Asia, and then you then you layer in all the different parts of our country, and then you layer in generation. I mean, it's talk about, you know, it is the American dream at work, but it does create many opportunities for misunderstanding. Right, which is the reason your work is so important. I hope so. <laughs> yes, and on, so on this topic, if we take a look at millennials and some of the negative stereotypes and myths that you think are important to debunk, mm-hmm. what would you say? I think the first one is, uh, and the, what I think is the most negative one, is that millennials are entitled. And this is statistically impossible for 80 million Americans to be entitled, you know. The difference is, um, I would say, conditioned to have more, um, to expect more immediate uh, satisfaction. So the idea um, that millennials were born and grew up with technology giving them immediate access to so much, and access to information that would have been hidden, you know, in file cabinets before, behind locks, uh, 20 years earlier, access to uh, emails. I mean, email wasn't even a thing when I came into the workplace 30 years ago, right? Um, and being able to email anybody in the world, I mean, it's not that hard to find an email address, right? Um, access to any information, one click away from any information, or at least the thought that you are one click away from any information. And in your hand you have, you know, if you're using Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, you can gather forces immediately. I mean, you know, one tweet and JetBlue is going back to the gate. So this idea that you would have immediate information and immediate feedback, that is ingrained in millennials. And this is very foreign for um, for boomers who had to earn their way into this access, right? So we have this idea, oh, they're so entitled, they think they can just talk to anybody. Well, they can because they have, you know. <laughs> they want to uh, sit down with a CEO the first day. Well, their their feedback has been solicited by very senior people uh, at the companies uh, from which they have bought products since they were very young, and so you know they get into the into the workplace, and of course their feedback would be wanted by the person in the corner office. Well, why wouldn't it? Because it always has been. So understanding the difference in in sort of the relationship that younger people have had with. Uh, information, people, and people of authority versus uh, the older people in the office, people who are 37 to 69, 75, whatever, you know, it's important to understand because it's not really entitlement. It is what they've been conditioned to expect. Right. There's more. Of, there's been more of a direct and more of an immediate line in terms of the information. Absolutely. So people at the top. Mm-hmm. Right. Are there any others that you think are really important yeah. to bring out? Well, I think one myth that is true is that, you know, uh, millennials expect rewards for showing up. And this is uh, true in many cases because they have gotten, you know, everybody wins soccer is great until you're in kindergarten or first grade. Unfortunately, has gone through all the way through college. Um, you have everyone wins soccer, and you have the fact that in the last 15 years, the average grade point average in this country has risen a full point, so that a 3.5 is now a 4.5, or a 2.5 is now a 3.5. And then those things together, right, they're used to getting rewarded uh, for attention in their work and, and just showing up. And there's a break. When you get into the workplace, those things are no longer true. So uh, what we haven't done is create a bridge between the education system and the work system around rewarding um, participation and rewarding um, excellence. 
And so we all, as businesses, need to create that bridge for our new employees. Otherwise, we create, um, you know, just a lot of friction around expectation for, well, I showed up on time. Well, yeah, you're supposed to. <laughs> and, and Or, you know, my work is great. Well, it needs to be done again, but it's not bad. You know, so you, we all have to work on creating that bridge for, our, our, you know, our recent graduates. What would you say in terms of that bridge is really important on a practice level? What can organizations do? It's setting expectations. It's setting expectations. Here's what you can expect. We know that the last 10 people that we hired in this job, they had a hard time moving from this to that. Or, you know, this is what was they found challenging. So bringing other experiences forward so they know they're not alone, right? And it's not judgmental. It's just fact. And two, you know, we expect you not to be perfect. We expect that you will not be able to do something day one. Right, um, and and failure is something that um, this generation hasn't had a lot of experience in. If you are not an elite athlete or an elite musician or an elite scientist in in doing competitions and all that kind of stuff, you haven't failed. You haven't like you know you haven't tapped out. Um, and most people aren't elite, right? And so the vast majority of people have been rewarded for showing up and participating in something, but they haven't had the benefit of actually not reaching it to the top. And setting those expectations in early to say, here's what we expect. We expect you're going to get it wrong. We expect you're going to get it wrong three or four times, but you're going to get better every single time. We expect these kinds of things so that it's not just, hi, how are you, and welcome to the company, but it's let's talk about the first couple of six months that, are, that you're going to be here and, and what, we've, what we've learned that has been challenging in the past and what we, we hope to be able to help you with in the future kind of thing. It sounds like then what you're talking about is to create some kind of transition and integration path mm-hmm. where that's based in the knowledge of, where people have been. Yeah. What, you have to take a look think, at the context of what their exposure has been and what they're accustomed to and then um, be able to address maybe some of the differences that may exist in your organization. Exactly. In some very large organizations, you know, they, they bring in classes of, peop- of people. They start a class of accountants right after school or they start a class of management consultants. And they, you know, their anticipation is that this class will be together for a couple of years. And then over those two years, they wean, wean, wean everybody off of the class idea, right? Most companies don't have that privilege, don't have that many people, right? And so it's more, it's, it's more haphazard in terms of, of that bridging system. But if you can just think about, if you thought it was challenging when you started your job, it's five times as challenging today because the expectations that were set uh, today are much lower. And st- you know they, just, they haven't been taught all these things that we were taught and, and taught to expect. Right. So I would think that you have similar advice when it comes to various generations. Mm-hmm. Is that it's important just to take a look at context, look at people's oh, experiences, so and try to really build more of an understanding about the differences intergenerationally, and that could be a wonderful educational experience for everyone in the organization. So true. I was um, giving, I gave a presentation last week at, an or- at a company, and this company had, um, I guess, 30 millennials, 10 um, Gen Xers, and 12 boomers. It's pretty unusual, actually, to have that so weighted to the bottom because it was a professional company. And we just talked about 
the facts around the millennials and just all millennials and then the Xers and the boomers in the same years, right? So we found out, you know, of the boomers, four of them had lost their job in 2008. And then millennials, 20 of them, 20 of the 30 had, had their parents lose their jobs in uh, 2008, 2009. So that colors everything. Right, that colors you. If you are uh, a boomer losing your job, you're worried about keeping your job. And if you're a millennial, you know not to count on a company because your parents lost their jobs. Right, so it colors everything. And the more you can unearth these facts, that are, you know, the facts are true, but their interpretation is different among the generations. The more, um, the more bridges you bring in to among the generations in your office. It makes sense, and that's such a great point that. The millennial actually has an experience that's beyond their years through the people who are close to them, like you said, their parents. And similarly, a boomer would have a connection to the experience of a millennial. So Mm -hmm. there are more places where you can bridge. Right, the Xer, you know, the Xer, um, so many Gen Xers were expecting to be promoted in 2008, right? And if they kept their job and if the boomer above them kept their job, Instead of retiring, well, that was comp- job compression from the top, right? There was no moving up if a boomer kept their job when they thought they were going to leave. At the same time as a tsunami of millennials were coming into the workplace. So, you know, the last five or six years have been very challenging. And it's really because of the challenge in the economy and the work, that has really exacerbated you know, what is natural in terms of uh, intergenerational conflict. This is such a great aerial view. Thank you. So we need to go to a quick commercial. When we come back, we will talk about why creating a business in which millennials can thrive helps everyone. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a professional athlete, a retired athlete, or other top performer who's seeking a new career? Explore how to transfer your talents and mission into a rewarding business with the expert guidance of Hemda Mizrahi. As a performance coach and generalist consultant to entrepreneurs, Hemda will support you and your family in your next major professional transition. Create a winning game plan by contacting her through lifeandcareerchoices.com. That's lifeandcareerchoices.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? 
Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, speaking with entrepreneur, CEO, and communication strategist, Lee Carraher. Lee is the author of Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. She debunks some of the negative stereotypes and myths that exist about working with millennials. In this segment, we'll focus on why creating a business in which millennials can thrive is beneficial for everyone. Lee, you, you say that a business in which millennials thrive is one in which Gen Xers and boomers can thrive too, while the reverse isn't necessarily true. So I'm curious to hear more about that. Sure. Well, I think the first fact is, you know, a business without a millennial is a business without a future, right? So if you want your company to go past the oldest person in your company, then you have to have a younger group coming up behind them. So that's number one. Uh, Number two is, you know, the millennials, uh, what we just talked about earlier in terms of their context, We'd, let's just talk about that a little bit. So, um, you know, boomers were the wait-my-turn generation. There are so many of us, um, they, and the economy not only was the baby boom because there were so many people, but the economy was just unnaturally growth-oriented for the last 25, before 2008, for the last 25 years. And there's a lot of statistics on this that, you know, nowhere on the world, you know, 25 years of tremendous growth. And we now need to get ready for 2%, 3% growth, not the tremendous growth that the baby boomers had. So we have, um, and we were the wait my turn generation. If we just waited our turn, we just moved up because the economy was growing so fast and there were so many of us and then we just moved up, right? Then we have the Gen Xers who is a much smaller generation than the boomers, 78 million uh, boomers. 48 million Gen Xers, 30 million less. And this is the group where we heard the terms like latchkey kids, double income, no kids, or double income, one kid, that kind, those kind of families. These And many more single children in the Gen X group than in the boomer group or the millennial group. So these kids are, these people are, were grown up, they grew up much more independent, much less oversight from their parents than the boomers or the millennials have. And they don't, you know, the tendency is, just tell me what to do, I'll go off and do it, and I'll bring it back, right? That's the tendency. Um, you'll see that a lot in Gen Xers. I don't need a lot of, you know, don't give me a lot of juice, just give me something, I'll mm-hmm. go off, I'll do it, I'll come back, it'll be finished. And, you know, that's a stereotype that um, I see play out over and over and over again. And then you have the millennials who, um, as a generation, 80 million millennials, much more integrated, the, the least white of our um, the least white generation that we have in our country, uh, more languages, um, more languages uh, spoken, more less likely to look like somebody else around the table than you were if you were a Gen X or a Boomer, and also a phenomena of a lot more parental um, supervision and now we call it helicopter parenting intervention. So these people, these people have had much more adult supervision interaction than their uh, immediately older um, generation, the Gen Xers. So by definition, you know, just think about those three things together, of course they operate a little differently. So if, in fact, you, ha- you want to have a business that, that sustains itself, you need to have a millennial. Uh, and one way of having a culture, you don't want a culture 
one culture for boomers, one culture for Xers, one culture for millennials. You want to have a culture of the company that has everybody have the high, same, high expectations of, of uh, behavior and standards, and then how do you do that, right? So if you get to a place where the millennial can meet your standards for behavior and output, then everybody else sort of comes along with them. And what that requires is a lot of context, telling people why they need to do something, why are we doing it this way, how can we get some feed, you know, asking for feedback, giving um, on how input, on how something should be done, how can we improve it. Um, I call it high democracy, low, low, um, I'm sorry, high input, low democracy, right? Mm. You want input from everybody and then someone has to make a decision um, as opposed to the Gen X reality, which is I'll just go make the decisions by myself and I'll come back and hear this. So you have, you know, creating an environment where everybody knows what to do, what the roles are for everybody. Well, that's just much more information. There is not a person who doesn't do better with more information around context, more information around roles, more information around um, and more input around what things uh, should look like, and a direction. You have to have a direction. We're going this way. Uh, at the same time, if you create an environment that works really well with individual contributors who don't have to interact with each other, that's not going. To, that might work very well for a segment of your uh, Gen X population, but it will not probably work very well for your millennials. So the reverse is not always true. So if you have created an environment where millennials can thrive, the other two or three generations. Uh, really get the information that they never really had naturally, and they can also do better. But the reverse is not true. It sounds like you're talking about a lot of the best practices also in leadership and change mm-hmm. management, that essentially you're offering information about the reasons that you need to implement particular initiatives or policies, and you want to have some kind of shared input process. Yeah. As you're saying, so across the board, that's beneficial for everyone. And at the same time, it seems, though, that you're also bringing up the point that has to do with how people of different generations interact with one another so that you can have effective collaboration and really mitigate conflict. I think that's um, you hit on some really important points there. One is on the change management uh, you know, change works well when you know why you're doing it, right? Just, ch- you know, ch- turning your, uh, tying your shoe differently because you want to tie your, you know, there's no reason and why am I doing this, right? And the difference also is a change. We are going to be changing our organizations at a much faster rate in the next 20 years than we did in the last 20, 25 years. And we, getting used to this context and uh Double loop learning, uh, which is, you know, we assume this, this happens, we plan, we look at it, didn't happen, what are our assumptions, where were our assumptions wrong? Learning how to do double loop learning in an always changing environment is only good, right? It's only good for everybody. And then I think the thing about um, intergenerational conflict is, you know, conflict is one thing that no one really, it's not like a class you take. You don't take a class in college, conflict management. In general, I mean, there are some people who probably have done that, but the vast majority of people who go into business have not taken a class called conflict management. And conflict management is the key to efficiency, right? The key to efficiency is how to not grind on the fact that you feel like you're not being respond, you're not being respected, or you know, you, you're pissed because this person, you know, you put a lot of energy in the fact that 
you know, Bob doesn't like Jane or Jane doesn't like Joe, whatever, right? There's a lot of energy around the conflict where efficiency comes from the, you know, less friction. The less friction you have, the more efficient you are. And so in my book, I have a whole section on how to resolve conflict in a very respectful way. It takes practice, though. You just can't assume that you're going to, you know, be able to do it really well all the time. It takes practice, um, and it's, it cuts across the generations, but it also helps in terms of responsibility and need, but it also helps the generations come together if you can find a good way to um, resolve conflict that is productive and moves people forward. Lee, do you provide facilitation or other people in your organization to companies? So if there are people who are listening and they're thinking, you know, we really need to integrate some kind of structure, some kind of framework that is consistent so that we can have these kinds of dialogues amongst the different generations to inform one another about the different influences that affect the way that we do our work and also to learn how to, beyond the fact of understanding that those differences, but still in the day-to-day practice of work, be able to communicate effectively? Yeah, I have um, workshops, um, depending on the size of the organization, that are um, range from four hours to a week, depend, you know, depends on the size of the organization. And then um, we focus on whatever the most important need is first and then uh, workshop it all out and get people practice. Often, I think the problem often with sort of keynotes and workshop, you know, and presentations is you don't get time to practice the, um, the tools. So in all my workshops, I create time, literally, if it's, if it's a three-hour three session, one hour of it is practice around two or three different tools that I bring in depending on the group. Um, so the people get used to saying things that they feel really awkward saying, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, because as I'm listening to you, there's so many good points that you're making, and it, it brings to mind the movie The Intern, which probably right. that reference has come up very often in your conversations. Yep. And basically just how there was an appreciation that was gained in that movie about what he brought and mm-hmm. also the negative stereotypes that can be associated with people who are in the older group. And mm-hmm. in this case, he demonstrated a, an openness and a flexi- flexibility that was really beneficial to the younger group in that environment. Right. Well, I think today, in the today's environment, too, we might have many boomers who are listening to that listening to you today who are actually working for millennials, right? You know, millennial, the oldest millennial is 36. Well, I was, uh, where was I? 36, I was uh, almost starting my own company. I was a senior vice president, executive vice president for a very large company. So there might be people who are working for generations that are younger than them today. And, and being open to that is really important. And at the same time, as being able to bring, being willing to help right? Just because your boss is much younger than you doesn't mean you have, don't have things to add that they can benefit from. And as long as they're open to it too, and you treat that boss with respect, then, you know, there's a lot of potential for greatness there. If you make the assumption that there's a lot for you to learn from everyone, and it'll, it'll obviously fill in some of the gaps that you have, 
mm-hmm. whatever generation you're in. It's a big in. assumption, right? It's a big, partic- I mean, it's very challenging, particularly if you got displaced in 2008, 2009, 2010, and you haven't found work that is commensurate with where you were um, displaced from. You know, it's, it's ego bruising, uh, and I understand that. But either we can beat our heads against the wall or we can find work that is rewarding and then contribute what we have to contribute regardless of who is around us. And the issue also is to find work and continue finding work. Because I know sometimes people can get so discouraged. They're concerned, you know, they bring up the issue of being concerned about age. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people bring it up because they say, I'm, wor- I'm worried about people judging me because I'm young. Right. So either the reverse is true. You have, for sure. right, you have it in different directions. But the, it seems like the point that you're making is that not, don't let anything stop you. Yeah. You have to, though, take the steps to, to learn a little bit about the context of different generations and also yeah. to have a, the flexibility to be able to work with people uh, across the board. Yeah, it means very few organizations will have just one generation in them, very few. And uh, people are going to be working longer uh, than they thought they were going to. Everybody's working longer than they thought, except the top one of one, you know, tenths of one percent, right? We're all working longer than we thought we were going to, um, and we'll be working with different generations for a long, long time. So, generate, you know, the age thing has to, like, cease to be an issue, right? (laughs) The most important thing for boomers and for older Xers is to be as relevant as possible. And relevance is about how to communicate. Relevance is, you know, understanding what's going on in the culture. Relevance is um, being able to bring something to the party that the younger people don't have um, without it sounding like being a dad or a mom, you know. And from the, uh, from the younger side, relevance is not just about the fact that you can communicate in 19 different social media languages, but it's being able to, you know, gain um, authority and experience um, and knowledge from other people and bring it to bear. So, you know, somewhere in the middle there is utopia, but I don't think we ever get there, right? <laughs> Roy's, Roy's a search. Roy's a searching for it. And just the nature of, of relevance is that it's required. Exactly. We don't, we don't have and an optional element to it. So the, the things that can be a little bit difficult in terms of adjustment pains, we know are going to be essential to moving forward in our careers. Mm-hmm. And some of it's not fair, you know, some, I just going to say, it doesn't sound fair. It doesn't matter. Right. I know um, in San Francisco Bay area right now, there's more plastic surgery going on for men than there is for women, uh, particularly for men looking for work. And should they have to? No, they shouldn't. <laughs> But do they do they feel they need to to give themselves an edge against everybody else looking for work? They do, and the you know the I don't know if it's statistically uh, we, we can't prove this statistically yet, but you know the you know the antidotal evidence is I um, had my eyes done and I got a job. I took my bow tie off and I got a job. I uh, you know I cut my hair off and I. You know, I went. You know, I, I shaved my hair down, and I got a job. You know, whatever it is, right? It has to be. It, but you know, the people who um, don't, you don't have to. Fit, it's not fitting in. It's being relevant. And there's a big difference, right? Absolutely, and it's it's like the counseling, counseling concept, which is mirroring. 
Mm-hmm. And this is one thing as a coach in organizations. I know I did this with my co-facilitator. If we would go to an or would, we did some consulting work for J.P. Morgan Chase for many years, and we would go to different locations, and each location was different, a little bit different in terms of how people dressed. And I, I very distinctly recall the experience that we had. We went into one location that was more of a corporate casual, and we were dressed corporate. Mm-hmm. And so he immediately took off his tie, and I took my jacket off. Right. And it felt kind of like we had a little bit more synchronicity and connection with the people we were speaking with. Yeah. Well, I think the same is true around communication, right? So, you know, we're in the, my company is a public relations digital marketing communications firm. I was in a meeting last week where the client challenged me. We were talking about Snapchat. And he goes, Lee, you got Snapchat? I'm like, yeah, I got Snapchat. And he didn't believe me. He goes, show me your Snapchat. So I open up my phone. Here's my Snapchat. You know, and I'm not on Snapchat all the time, but I'm on Snapchat because I, that's my business. I need to figure out how, to, how, how everyone's, how do we get to uh, audiences, and that's what we do for a living. But, um, you know, so it's like figuring out the relevance piece, you know, is multifaceted, right? And it's challenging, particularly for, for older people who are looking for, want the work they thought they were going to have or don't want to have to work but do. You know, it is definitely challenging. I get it. Every right, day so <laughs> we're going to go to commercial in just uh, 10 seconds, but I just wanted to re- reiterate so that it seems as though you're talking about when we look at staying relevant, we want to look at both the verbal, the nonverbal aspects of communication, the verbal aspects. And mm-hmm. the idea is that just like communicating in any culture is that we want to be able to integrate the facets that help us to relate to people, to connect with people. Absolutely. So we're going to go to a brief commercial, and Lee mentioned the phenomena of helicopter parenting. We're going to talk more about that when we come back. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a professional athlete, a retired athlete, or other top performer who's seeking a new career? Explore how to transfer your talents and mission into a rewarding business with the expert guidance of Hamda Mizrahi. As a performance coach and generalist consultant to entrepreneurs, Hemda will support you and your family in your next major professional transition. Create a winning game plan by contacting her through lifeandcareerchoices.com. That's lifeandcareerchoices.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. 
You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, speaking with entrepreneur, CEO, and communication strategist, Lee Carraher, who is the author of Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. Lee suggests that creating an environment in which millennials can thrive benefits workers of every generation. On the topic of thriving, in this segment, we're going to shift our attention to the parents of millennials to discuss a pervasive parenting style known as helicopter parenting. So Lee, can you describe what helicopter parenting is and talk about just the the key issues related to it? Sure. So helicopter parenting is um, inappropriate oversight and intervention by parents of teenagers and adult children who should be doing things by themselves or doing things uh, themselves and then asking for assistance and instead actually doing it for them. So I'll give you a couple examples. Um, uh, parents who um, call a prospective employer and say, my daughter won't be in today, she doesn't feel well, can she have a different, she'd like a different time for the interview. Or uh, a parent who actually does somebody's work and then the, the adult child p- uh, passes along as his or her own. Or the adult parent who, after a review, um, calls the person, you know, their ch- their adult child's boss and um, complains that the review was unfair and they deserve uh, more money. These things sound, um, to people who have not encountered this, it sounds outlandish, but it mm-hmm. is uh, pervasive across the country where parents are uh, much more active in their adult children's lives and their work lives than is appropriate uh, and or even legal uh, where people cannot, you know, bosses cannot actually discuss their 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 employees or adult children's uh, performance with anybody but themselves. So it's what's so detrimental? Be- I just can't even. T- I mean, you see one. I'm I am not a gun. F- I am not a gun fan. But if and I, you know, what I think though is what we need some paint guns, some paintballs, <laughs> and if you see one, shoot one. Because, you know, make sure they have a big yellow target on them because, you know, it's just terrible. It, they're not doing themselves and they're not doing their children any favors. And they're actually creating uh, creating even worse uh, situations for their adult children than they would be without them. So you would direct suggestions to parents. So if parents are yeah. listening and you hear yourself in this. Really pay attention well, I speak from as someone who knows. I speak as, as someone who was... Uh, who is a recovering adult, you know, helicopter parent. My son, my older son, who is a musician, um, and he's 18, So he, but he's an elite musician, and I found I was doing all these things for him, and, I did, and it was just taking me less time. I don't think people do this out of because they want – I don't think they do it because, oh, I'm going to help my child. They do it from love, right? I don't think it's from anything from, but from love. That's why I choose to believe. But it's also time. Like, I was helping my third grader with something like, and I said, oh, I'll just do it myself. I was going to take me half an hour to fix, and it was going to take me 12 hours to coach him through it. And by the third or fourth time he came to me, I was like, wait, mom, can you do this for me? 
the first couple of questions were, Mom, can you help me? The last, the fourth question was, can you do this for me? I'm like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> and I realized what I was doing. I was going into this zone of, like, my time versus parenting time. And, you know, for those of us who work, it's so challenging to find enough time. I you tr- truly understand. But we aren't doing our kids any favors if we do this stuff for them. It makes sense, Lee, as you're mentioning, that it's built into being a parent to want your child's life to be easier in different ways than what you experienced. And it, it sounds, though, that you can really carry it too far such that mm. it creates an imbalance even in your relationship with your kid that you need to give them the chance to try to figure things out and do things on their own, Yeah, not only for success in their lives at large and their careers, but also so that you have enough balance in your life. I think that's so true. You know, I think it's also challenging today. 39% of millennials live at home after college. Um, and that could be because, well, obviously their parents are letting them, right? <laughs> but it also could be because it's just cheaper and they have a lot of school debt and their parents are helping them get out of the school debt by not having rent, all these kinds of things. So, you know, if you're living at home and you have a helicopter parent, oh, my goodness, right? So it's really going to be up to, if you feel, you know, if your parent is showing up at work, Millennials, stop. Don't let them do it. <laughs> Don't have them come with you to an, you know, an appointment. I have two clients who have policies, and their policy is no parents allowed in an interview. And I can't, you know, why would you need a policy? You need a policy because parents have intervened and, you know, and interrupted a recruiting process to the detriment of their children and to the detriment of the, of the company. So, you know, if you are showing up in your child's workplace and it's not a take your parent to workplace day, you're, you're in the wrong place. If you're calling, unless your child is literally in a coma and can't speak for themselves, mm-hmm. you're making the wrong phone call. Truly. And you have advice basically that you've given to millennials also, which is to say no sometimes. Say to, no. Right, Mom, to I'll say no and set boundaries. Absolutely. And I think if you are a millennial who's going, you know, if you're someone who is graduating from college, you're moving home uh, for any reason. I'm not against people living at home. I am against people living at home and just sucking off their parents, right? You need to be, how are you going to participate in that household? Are you going to be paying rent? Are you going to be doing chores? What do your parents expect of you if you're going to be living in their home? What are the expectations? Set up the rules. You know, what, take the adult path. You know, you are now an adult. Now, you know, you drive that within their rules. And if you don't like their rules, well, go find your own apartment, right? (laughs) Truly. But if your parents are like, ah, whatever, make your parents, help your parents put rules together. And I I know many parents who don't like, they're so excited their kid wants to live with them, they don't want to have rules. But I'm telling you, for the people, for the children, the adult children who are living at home, the best thing you can do for yourself is set up rules, set up roles, set up expectations so that um, you have clear boundaries because the clearer the boundaries you have, the more effective you can be. Excellent advice. It's just, it reminds me of when you think of a little kid who doesn't have enough discipline that in different ways kids do ask their parents for discipline. So yeah. it's the same thing in your <laughs> more adult years, right? That yeah. I love what you're suggesting. And you, you've expressed all of these insights also with so much empathy. And I really appreciate I that. Having come, been in those shoes yourself, you're, you're really sharing with parents and with people in the workplace about how we can all move forward and in, improve uh, 
our relationships and also the outcomes uh, that we're working toward? Well, I think that, you know, as a leader, empathy is so important as a leader to understand where your people are coming from at the same time as not giving up on the high standard, right? And you can do both. It requires being able to listen, but it also requires being able to have, here are the values by which we operate. You know, we value family first, but that doesn't mean that your family acts for you, right? That means we value you supporting your family. Um, we value um, your time with your family. We value your time doing other things, but it doesn't mean that the company and the company's um, goals and its, and its standards should be compromised they, it's an ecosystem. They go hand in hand. And I think for so many parents who are, may, um, not be, may not have been able to give their kids the education that they wanted because they lost so much money in 2008, 2009 that they were not able to put their kids through college as they expected, maybe they have bounced back to say, okay, I couldn't do that. They have all this debt. I'm going to be more involved because I feel bad about that. Well, you know, it is what it is. They have debt. They got an education. You help them by helping them be adults, not by trying to do, not by not letting them learn how to do things the hard way. Because you know they learn it at 22, or they learn it at 32. Please let them learn it at 22. Thank you. These are such wonderful remarks, and I want to also encourage everyone. Leave uh, first of all. I so much appreciate your feedback and your time. And my pleasure. I want to encourage everyone also, whether you're a millennial or the parent of a millennial or someone who would benefit from greater insight into how to work well with millennials, which is all of us, I encourage you to read Lee's book, Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making Making It Work at Work, which is available through Amazon. You can learn more about the book by visiting Lee's website, which is leecaraher.com. That's L-E-E. And then last name Caraher, which is C-A-R-A-H-E-R.com. On a related topic, if you'd like to get guidance on improving manners in your workplace, you can read about <laughs> Lee's desktop guide to manners that matter at the office by going to everything-speaks.com. You can also read about her company's PR and marketing communication services at www.double-forte.com. So that's D-O-U-B-L-E-F-O-R-T-E.com. If you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, I welcome you to share them and support the show by emailing me at hosthemda at gmail.com, following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi, and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.